This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hey, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, so this week, we're going to start by actually looking backwards. We're going to be discussing the would-be Oscar hopefuls of years past and how they maybe fell apart with our friend and special guest, Joe Reed, creator of the amazing Tumblr, This Had Oscar Buzz. From there, we'll pick out some of your Twitter responses to our question about your favorite awards contenders that didn't quite make the cut in years past. And then we'll discuss Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies and whether there's room for something old-fashioned, well-liked, but not necessarily loved in this year's race. And then we'll wrap things up by going big before we go home by predicting who we think will win Best Actor of this year. Now I'd like to welcome our special guest, Vanity Fair's weekend editor and our friend, Joe Reed. Hi, Hi. Joe. How are you? Hello. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> so, I know I'm a letdown from Jason Siegel, but like... You actually, you're dressed <laughs> exactly alike, as That's it turns so out. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Joe, you're a longtime Oscar obsessive. I and sure then, am. for whatever reason, a few years ago, you brought this obsession to a very specific single-serve Tumblr. This had Oscar buzz. Uh-huh. Can you explain what this had Oscar buzz is? Uh, sure. Uh, one day at my day job at the time... I I was uh, bored and goofing around on Twitter, and it was just one of those things where you just remember you just remember a movie, and it's just like, wow, we've all forgotten about that movie. No, <laughs> it wasn't it, one specific movie. It that... was one specific movie. It was that movie called Reservation Road that starred, uh, oh, yeah. I think it was Joaquin Phoenix, Mark Ruffalo, Mira Sorvino, and some fourth. Jennifer Connelly, maybe? I think I, Jennifer Connelly is like I the know. patron saint <laughs> of this oh. Oscar buzz. And literally, that was the first thought in my head was just like, this movie had so much Oscar buzz. Everybody thought, oh, Joaquin Phoenix is winning the Oscar for this movie. Look at it. He plays a grieving father. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, and so that one afternoon, I think I put up, like, I just created the Tumblr that day and just put up, I think, like, 12 of them in a day. Because like once you start thinking of one, you keep thinking of, like, all these other ones, like all the Jennifer Connelly movies. These things, that, like, became ephemera. Like, well, yeah, I want to ask Jay you. Jay Edgar or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, wow, everybody was really like, well, you know, DiCaprio's and, winning that Oscar. And some of these do wind up with, like, one vestigial Oscar nomination. Where yeah. you're like, oh yeah, so that's what that all led to. It led to one supporting actor nod for yeah. this random for person. For Shora Agdashlu or something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But what are what patterns? What other patterns have emerged for you besides uh, Jennifer Connelly? Prestige directors. A lot of the times, you'll get that movie. Uh, Body of Lies, which I feel like the was Ridley Scott the one? Ridley Scott one, because the the Oscar game, which I really really love, and I love playing the Oscar game as early in the year as possible um, because it is like a fun guessing game. And if you're right, like it's pretty cool that you saw something coming. I remember when The Last King of Scotland was just like a little idea and I'm like, this movie, because Kevin McDonald, it was the director of uh, uh, One Day in September. And I was like, this is a really cool idea and this is a really cool part for Forrest Whitaker. Maybe he'll do well. And then at the end of the year, I was like, ah, I was right. I am a god. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so I get like the appeal of that. Um, but we started so early and then it's just sort of like, of course 
some of these things aren't going to pan out. And some of these things are going to pan out really bad because these movies turn out to be like Amelia. And <laughs> Amelia, it, to me, is the ultimate this had Oscar buzz, I think. Right? That's another one where it's just like, well, Hilary Swank, you know, every time she plays something serious, like she hits it out of the park and she wins it. It's just like, well, she actually doesn't. We remember the successes. We forget the necklace. <laughs> Do you think that the formula has changed? I mean, you know, we, we can think of like an Oscar movie from the 80s or the 90s as yeah. being a sort of period piece with a lot of sort of uplift or whatever. Merchant Ivory. And now we're having yeah. things like Birdman winning Best Picture, which are sort of tiny and indie. Right. So how, like, is it, does it make it harder to predict or you can, can you kind of just like go with it and, and sort of, is it year specific? I mean. I think it's, well, I think it shifts and I think the lag in that shifting is where the fun this had Oscar buzz kind of stuff happens with like Birdman last year. It's just like, it's too weird. It's not going to do well. Or something like The Hurt Locker. It's too small. And it's like the old rules become these sort of like antiquated things. Honestly, last year, Robert Duvall and the judge would have been a great this had Oscar buzz uh, contender except it turned out like it totally panned out it was the upset of the year yeah. so yeah, it was like right on ready to click on that entry but it did not uh, did not work yeah you've updated with a couple of contenders from last year that yeah. I, I don't know if any of the, I don't know if there's a, a specific pattern with them like Exodus is on there which yes. is kind of a classic like big Hollywood movie and then it got kind of trampled by racism accusations of all things yeah but like Cake kind of doesn't seem like a classic this had Oscar buzz because it wasn't super prestigious it did come out of nowhere and right. it just didn't quite the pro- the thing with Cake is it you know snatched defeat from the jaws of victory where it really did look like it was going to happen because that's one of those things too is just like those movies that feel like they came so close and then because they fell short and something like Cake was only really a contender for Jennifer Aniston so because she fell short that movie then sort of fades into history as no Oscar nominations and you can sort of see it like falling away into like the mists of like even though for like a month or two like everyone was talking about Cake right and if it gets that one nomination if she gets like say you know however many more votes it needed to like lift her over Marion Cotillard last year that goes into history as Oscar nominated film Cake Mm-hmm. That one really felt like revenge of the Oscar voters. You know, they, yeah. they kind of were just like, no, sorry, Golden Globes, guys, <laughs> we're not going to take right. your cue and right. nominate this performance. Right, totally. Because Golden Globes is just like, of course, it's Jennifer Anderson. They want Jennifer Anderson to show up for their award show. I want to talk about St. Vincent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that have Oscar buzz? Because it had those SAG nominations. Yeah. It had yeah. those. Naomi had, Watts and Bill Murray, And it's right? one of those movies where after Lost in Translation, everybody was like, oh, Bill Murray deserves an Oscar. Like, Bill Murray is due for an Oscar. They sort of, like, looked at the rest of his career in retrospect. It's sort of like with Michael Keaton last year, where all of a sudden he gets Oscar buzz for one movie, and now it's like, oh, Michael Keaton. And now he has Oscar Oscar buzz again for Spotlight because of that kind of continuing role. And now we say from here, Spotlight looks like it's going to pan out. You know who knows? But, like, with Bill Murray, after Lost in Translation, they were like, well, The Life Aquatic. We thought Bill Murray was going to get a nomination for a Wes Anderson sort of (laughs) half-animated, and this was before, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, when, like, Wes Anderson wasn't getting Oscar nominations for Bill Murray. Um, And so St. Vincent is sort of that thing, too. It's just every once in a while, Bill Murray will come out with a movie and you're like, well, now this is this is where they will honor. Yeah. Broken Flowers, I feel like the Jim Jarmusch. Broken Flowers. Yeah, of course they're going to nominate a Jim Jarmusch movie. Like, where has that ever (laughs) failed before? Yeah, Yeah. totally. Is for you looking back at this, is there is there schadenfreude involved when you're like looking at these movies that fell apart? Is is that the fun of it? Or is it also just kind of the I mean, there's because there's somebody here that had Oscar buzz that you might be might have been rooting for. Like, is it 
all about kind of like mocking the defeated heroes of the past. I can't think of any concrete examples now, but there have been entries where it's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make fun of a movie like Mm -hmm. that I liked. If it's something that's small and felt like it was reaching for the stars with Oscar and it fell short, I'm like, I'm not going to kick something when it's down. If something is coming at it big, something like Summersby, where it was just like, oh, it's this grand sort of like sweeping romance and it sort of lands with such a thud mm-hmm. and it's just like oh Jodie Foster and Richard Gere like you guys were really going for something there and you didn't so there is the schadenfreude aspect of that mm-hmm. um, but I it, find it kind of nostalgic and it's kind of that's sweet the other there. half that's of it the thing. too I like yes. it it's I, I you know you you it's, it's a document. A it's little movies bit. that you didn't 100 percent forget about, but maybe 75 percent th- forgot about, <laughs> and then you see the poster on the on the yeah. Tumblr, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, I remember 1996. Well, like, and if you, you follow know, movies like, like I do, and I sort of that's what I was I was sort of banking on the fact that other people might follow movies like I do, and it's just like, oh wow, right. We all sort of experienced that movie a little bit, and then all sort of decided to put it on a shelf and mm-hmm. put it away. Well, it harkens back to sort of the the sort of new the promise of a new year. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh man, there was a time when like we were so innocent that Reservation Road was going to do it. You know? like, well, it was like Gran Torino. I just right. picture, I remember oh, putting yeah. the screener yep. in the thing, watching it being like, pretty good. Not yeah. going to get any Oscar nominations. <laughs> yeah. So actually that does lead us to this year. Yes. And I think we need to kind of find out from you now that you've crunched all the sort of numbers here and the sure, data sure, points. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. What's jumping out at you as potential future this had Oscar buzz? Well, it's funny because titles. they seem to be pushing stuff into next year already. Like, uh, I saw, I the, saw light. the light. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a prime candidate because that was one where it looks so good on paper. I feel like that's the big sort of like organizing principle of that. It's this had Oscar buzz. Oh, it looks so good on paper. <laughs> and it's like Tom Hiddleston's <laughs> playing a real person. Tom Hiddleston's career is ascendant. You know, biopics, they never lose. Like, you know, how can you go wrong with a biopic? And then it thuds. And then in three years, you're going to be like, guys, remember? Remember that I saw the light and it's like, oh, right. Like everybody went into Toronto thinking we got to see this thing because uh, it's going to have Oscar buzz. On the flip side of that, Katie, sort of what you were saying about, you know, schadenfreude and not. I don't know if I would put Freeheld on something like this just because it fell short. Like it's not going to get Oscars like we all thought it would. But I also feel like it wasn't a slam dunk of an idea anyway. It was sort of, you know, this, you know, lesbian drama or whatever. I would feel worse kicking a movie like that when it's down than something like I Saw the Light where it was just sort of like music biopic. Like So so cut to March of the next year and you'll have a freehold poster that you're hovering and copying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Should I <laughs> like my cotton my little like, you know, angel on my shoulder and devil on my shoulder? Just like do it. But, but it's do more it. about the the obvious ploy to either win Oscars or trick people into going to see a not so great movie by framing it as fake Oscar rather than like someone who made like like if Spotlight misses the mark right Spotlight does not feel like an Oscar ploy it feels like a movie that's really good right you're not you're not making a movie about you know journalists sitting around you know in a room and just being like man we're gonna really like sweep ourselves up into the Kodak theater with something like this so yeah (laughs) there's a little bit of a difference there but it also is sort of like poking fun at the process too because Mm -hmm. and I'm again as I said I'm all up into the prediction process but we do end up sort of sometimes writing these narratives for ourselves very early on in the season and then when the actual movie hits it's just like oh wow like reality has fallen so far short of expectation we were all sitting here this year waiting on Joy, The Revenant and The Hateful Eight these three December movies that no one has seen and it just just seems inevitable that one of them is going to make us look really foolish for waiting on them and nobody knows which one yet well and it's uh, what was that uh, John Wells movie with Ben Affleck 
Affleck. In the, called, uh, the Company Men. Yeah, that yeah. was another one where it's just sort of like, and then you look in retrospect and it's like, we were really banking on a John Wells movie, huh? And then, you know, August Osage County does pan out for him. So it's That's just true. like, you never really know. That's yeah. the fun of it. I, I think like. ultimately the joke is sort of on us. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're the ones responsible for a lot of this buzz. Totally. And it's like, well, we were kind of silly, weren't we? You know? Well, that's why I feel like I feel like I don't think it's making fu- it's making fun of the movies a little, but it is also making fun of us as well. And I think that's what I like about it is it's community building and that sort of self-effacing. Yeah, kind of we way. should all have to reckon with the fact that we sat there and thought nine was a guaranteed <sighs> best picture winner. And- I'm still holding out for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Oscar buzz of years past, we asked you guys on Twitter which uh, would be almost ran Oscar contenders from the past that you are still pulling for. Richard, you had an answer that seemed to resonate with you, particularly with this Oscar season. I do. Um, Diana Dares on Twitter, uh, she said, Squid and the Whale should have gotten Jeff Daniels an Oscar. And I agree with that. He's fantastic in that movie. But I think that that has relevance to today because he really could sneak in there for Steve Jobs. He has, you know, a couple of really big, big scenes with Fassbender where they're kind of yelling at each other. You're issuing contradictory instructions. You're insubordinate. You make people miserable. Our top engineers are fleeing to Sun, Dell, HP. Wall Street doesn't know who's driving the bus. We've lost hundreds of millions in value, and I'm the CEO of Apple, Steve. That's my resume. But before that, you sold carbonated sugar water, right? I sat in a garage with Wozniak and invented the future because artists lead and hacks ask for a show of hands. All right, well, this guy's out of control. I'm perfectly willing to hand in my resignation tonight, but if you want me to stay, you can't have Steve. It's just the stuff of kind of Oscar clip, you know, when he, you know, and then he claps for himself, and then they cut to the next nominee. <laughs> you know? uh, so, so I think that's interesting, Diana Dares. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I have something from the Hunsucker proxy who says, Fassbender, Mulligan, and McQueen for shame, which honestly, shame was so good and such a big deal among critics that I kind of forget that it never got on any Oscar nominations. And obviously, uh, all of them, or Carrie Mulligan had been nominated and Fassbender and McQueen went on to get nominated for 12 Years a Slave. But yeah, shame, I mean, it was a hard, hard sell with anybody, much less Oscar voters. But that one I do still kind of uh, have a big spot in my heart for. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, Bennett Prosser uh, mentions, uh, I begged Leslie Manville for forgiveness after we left her to the fates of category confusion. And I do remember that. <laughs> I, that was my favorite actress That's performance for, of that uh, year. For another, for another year. year. Yeah, explain for Mike, Mike Lee's another year. Explain the category confusion issue. So uh, Leslie Manville in uh, in another year was a Mike Lee movie, so of course it's very ensemble and it's about this like older couple, and then Leslie Manville plays their single friend, and she sort of increasingly becomes the focus of the movie. So you get that, is she a lead with the two you know, the couple or is she supporting? And they campaigned her. It was a very schizophrenic campaign. I think it was supporting, wasn't it? And I think they campaigned her in supporting and she felt like such a lead. And of course, it's a Mike Lee movie. So you're going to, you know, you're behind the eight ball anyway in terms of trying to get a nomination and ask Timothy Spall last year. Yeah. Um, It was my favorite actress performance of that year, I remember. And it was such a strong year. That was 2010, the Natalie Portman Black Swan year. So like mm-hmm. that whole category was really, really strong. Jennifer Lawrence's first year and Michelle Williams for Blue Valentine. And so it was a tough category to crack. But uh, Leslie Manville, we hope to make it up to you someday. Oh, uh, one day. <laughs> I, well, I, I agree with Adam Tomich, who says, anytime Kirsten Dunst got remotely close, Marie Antoinette, Melancholia, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Any oh, wow. of these. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She picks such I, interesting projects, so it always makes it tougher for her to get Oscar consideration, because like, the movies are so odd. And I yeah. think yeah. St- people might still see it, you know, oh, she's from Bring It On, right? Or she's the little girl from Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. But it's like, she actually has done a lot of really cool adult, you know, like like grown-up stuff. So you're, I think Yeah, I, I mean, Melancholia is insanely dark, but she's there's no doubt it was an incredible 
incredible performance yeah. Yeah. and revealing too. Yeah. And well, then uh, and just to, yeah. to survive a Lars von Trier film alone, physical survival. Well, maybe she'll get her Emmy for Fargo now. Maybe. She's, uh, she's wised it. up like she's, so many other actresses and said television's yeah. the way to go. Yeah. So October 16th brought the release of Bridge of Spies, a new movie from Steven Spielberg. It's another collaboration with him and Tom Hanks. It's a Cold War thriller about an everyday Brooklyn lawyer who winds up helping exchange a Russian spy or a Soviet spy for an American spy in Berlin Wall era Berlin. Uh, we have actually have a clip from the film to explain what it's all about. It's all about this man and what he represents. He's a threat to all of us, a traitor. Who's a traitor? The Rosenbergs were traitors. Who were they? That's your sister's They gave atomic secrets to the Russians. They were Americans. They betrayed their country. You can't accuse Abel of being a traitor. He's not an American. Listen to yourself. You're defending him already. I'm hungry. You're rehearsing it on me. You said you were just thinking about it. I am just thinking about it. It's very hard. Everyone deserves a defense. Every person matters. Jim, what do we deserve? Do you know how people will look at us? The family of a man trying to free a traitor? It got very good reviews, but then not that many ecstatic ones, except for the fact that it still seems to be hanging in there among the pundit types that we like to associate ourselves with. It's a Spielberg movie. It's Tom Hanks. Richard, I think you were the one who boldly predicted it would win Best Picture Sight Unseen when we first started the season. I did. And I will say that when I saw the film and it, that I liked, I you know, gave a good review too, um, I felt a little bit like, oh, I don't, I think maybe I, I, di- I went too big. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. There, I think there is actually some maybe precedent for a movie like this, which has you know about twenty different things, uh, sort of that 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 kind of communicate prestige. Be it Spielberg, be it a theater actor kind of making a big splash, uh, be it Tom Hanks, be it historical relevance. You know all this stuff. Uh, that actually there is enough kind of there are enough parts in that machine that could keep it kind of chugging along. If not, it's not going to make the most noise. I don't think all season, but it does have some staying power. Uh, I'm sort of thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think the comparison that you might automatically make is to War Horse, which was a Steven Spielberg movie that opened, everyone was fine with it, it kind of was a little goofy in how big and emotional it was. It was a Best Picture nominee, which it's kind of easy to forget. But also, who knows, it might have the power to be Lincoln, which was a movie that opened and kind of sat there and it was political and it wasn't super emotional and there's no romance in it. And then slowly it grew over the course of the season. It didn't wind up winning Best Picture, but I, I don't know, I could see Bridge of Spies having that kind of low boiling staying power, especially if stuff that comes after, you know, the people who are voting on these things don't like as much. So wait a minute, what are we talking about? Are we talking <laughs> about it getting nominated for Best Picture or are we talking about it winning Best Picture? I think either. Either kind of seems possible. I mean, I think getting nominated seems entirely plausible, especially there's 10 slots and it's Spielberg and it's Disney and there's just like a lot of people worked on it and it's kind of like, you know, it goes down easy enough. Um, I watched it and thought, this is pretty good. And then afterwards, there were a number of people who don't do this for a living. And a lot of them were just like, oh, my God, that was so boring. Uh, (laughs) Which is what I said. And I do do this for a living. You know, and I hate to say it like, well, it may not matter what those people think, but I often do try to listen to people who are not like seeing 200 movies a year to find out what they actually think. And to me, this movie, the problem with it is that, and, and why I don't see it winning Best Picture, but could see it nominated, is I don't really feel that emotional, massive, major payoff. It's such a low boil, like you said. Somebody on Twitter yesterday was like, this is Spielberg's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, 
which you know maybe that's true. I, I don't. It's not as rigorous, but it makes more sense. I mean, you can you can follow it more easily. But that's another movie that there's not like a giant payoff. You have to be really attuned to subtleties slash like very attentive and caring a lot about movies to even kind of stay with it. Well, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is another this had Oscar buzz movie, which kind of was in the race and then didn't really wind up with that much in the end. Yeah, I I went to a dinner last night. Um, with a lot of, well, a few Academy voters, they were talking about their screeners and how they have stacks of them they haven't watched yet. If they're going to knock off, you know, four movies in a day and they're going to watch Spotlight and they're going to watch Room and they're going to watch Danish Girl and then they get to Bridge of Spies, I just don't know that maybe it'll, it'll kind of slow the, the pace and they'll sort of say, oh, I, I don't remember that one. Well, yeah, and picture them in the Neutra house with giant plate glass windows in Los Angeles, sun streaming in th- through them, you know, with this kind of like dark, murky Berlin in the 50s, or, or, you know, thing going on. I don't know how relatable it is and it doesn't have a massive hook. I mean, to me... It seemed like the reason Spielberg made it is that he hates the drone program and thinks Obama's like a giant hypocrite. I mean, that, it seems to me that Spielberg's like the only person now alive who can be like, I kind of annoyed about this political thing. Let me make a hundred million dollar movie with Tom <laughs> Hanks about it. That's a very like d- buried metaphor. But then you're also talking about these voters who are often are a lot older. And the thing that people keep saying about Bridge of Spies is it has this old fashioned craft to it. It's kind of like a Frank Capra movie in the way that it's about an every man standing up to a big machine. It's filmed like a film noir. It's shot on film. Janusz Kaminski is flooding the scene with light. It's got this kind of old-fashioned steadiness to it that I think might appeal to people. If, say, you're watching Room and you're like, oh, this movie's so claustrophobic, it's you know, or something that's inventive, like, as we're imagining The Hateful Eight will be. So there's kind of a, there's a steadiness to Bridge of Spies that I feel like people could attach to. Maybe even like Argo, which had did have a thrilling ending. It did have the big finish, which I think helped it kind of go over the finish line to winning Best Picture. But it was kind of an old-fashioned thriller in that way, which I think was a big part of its appeal. Well, Katie, I don't know. I mean, there was a thrilling ending. There was a bridge and there were spies. <laughs> <laughs> so they fulfilled on the promise of the movie. Uh, For some reason, I want to draw a comparison to Ang Lee winning Best Director for Life of Pi, which was a movie that people respected and liked, but it wasn't, you know, this. it it was never going to win Best Picture, maybe. Although that had a lot of technical flourishes and that was a crazy feat of directing. But I think that Spielberg's is too. It just maybe it doesn't show its kind of skill quite as readily. So I don't know. I, I think that there is something to be said for a sort of more solidly traditional movie lasting and then finally making a, making a show of it in, in February. But right. the other thing about Ang Lee is that it was the Argo year and Ben Affleck wasn't nominated, which is why Ar- Argo was such an insane example for all these weird particular situations that it's a uh... It's just funny to look back at. Well, and that war between Argo and Lincoln and Zero Dark Thirty was insane. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I would love to see something like that because that was like no holds barred, bare knuckle, yeah. like brawling. Yeah. And that it was, was like three eras of American politics fighting. <laughs> yeah. And like the yeah. CIA got involved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. I know there were congressional hearings. <laughs> Everybody was yeah. throwing accusations at each other of being, you know, inaccurate. It's interesting. Also, Mark Harris, by the way has a connection to Lincoln and has a connection to Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And he is the one who, so he, it was his tweet that inspired this conversation where he tweeted, Mark Harris wrote for Grantland. He writes for Entertainment Weekly. He's a very smart person on the Oscar season. He said, if I were Oscar blogging, I'd say keep an eye on Bridge of Spies. Over the long term, sometimes steady appreciation is greater than spikes of enthusiasm. And well, that is a good way to mind, Lincoln. Yeah, that Mark's partner is mm-hmm. uh, Tony, Tony Kushner. Kushner, who wrote Lincoln. Yeah. And they went through that whole thing together. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Lincoln was a slow burn. But I, 
I feel like Lincoln, I mean, you had Daniel Day-Lewis doing this incandescent, insane performance. And even if it didn't jump off the screen at you, that was really something to hold on to. I think Tom Hanks is really great here, but I feel like maybe we've seen Tom Hanks do this before. Yeah, we have. I think in my review, I just it, it's kind of Captain Phillips. It's like he's, he keeps a steady head. He stays cool, you know, and then sort of prevails in the end. Although I guess you could say that Captain Phillips sort of was rescued. But, but you know, I think there's a similarity. He kind of played the same person in Saving Private Ryan in a way. I think the real performance to keep an eye on is Mark Rylance because here, you know, like you said, Katie, this kind of lord of the theater who, you know, I've seen him do Shakespeare and it's the most, you know, you suddenly understand Shakespeare. I mean, I, I have a, I'm a theater major and I have sort of don't understand Shakespeare until I see him do it. Um, so to see him kind of get a sizable role in a movie for the first time in a while, um, if ever that I, I can think, think he's of. kind of chosen not yeah. to have a movie career yeah. until recently. Yeah. Um, to, and then it's this really interesting part that he plays very quietly, which is sort of, you know, you wouldn't think would be common for a movie like this. But he lasts. He lingers in your head. Uh, I don't know. I think that that could be an interest. He could be an interesting spoiler for some of the sort of bigger stars kind of in the supporting category that, that we've been looking at so far. Yeah, I think that makes sense. People uh, do worship Mark Rylance. I don't know. Like if all the actors in the actors branch know who he is, yeah. right, I, right. I don't always know how up they are on their like British theater. But I certainly, you know, people who were aware of him and and if he was in Wolf Hall, which helped kind of bring him to That's a lot right. of people's yeah. attention yeah. as well. It's also yeah. not hard to imagine him being like, I'm not going to all these luncheons or shaking any hands, and then all of a sudden everyone turns on him because he doesn't want to play the game. But uh, would just... it help? <laughs> would it help? That's my joke. Get it? Sorry, that's his <laughs> refrain in the movie. I I just really want to see him start winning awards because I don't know if you guys have seen when he he's won two Tonys uh, and when he w- w- for his acceptance speeches he just reads like little weird poems when you're in town wearing some kind of uniform is helpful policeman priest etc driving a tank is very impressive or a car with official lettering on the side if that isn't to your taste you could join the revolution wear an armband carry a homemade flag tied to a broom handle or a placard bearing an incendiary slogan. At the very least, you should wear a suit and carry a briefcase and a cell phone or a team jacket, a baseball cap, and a cell phone. If you're in the woods, the back country, someplace far from any human habitation, it is a good idea to wear orange. And then just says thank you and walks off the stage. Oh, wow. So I, I would love to watch like a Golden Globe SAGs Oscars sort of run of Mark Rylance just reading weird poems. Oh, that would be so. fantastic. And finally, it's time to go big before we go home. Uh, everybody, and including Joe, I want all of you guys to make your boldest predictions for who is going to win Best Actor. Joe, since you're the guest, you're the new kid, we have to make you go first. Okay. Uh, Since the very first uh, teaser for The Revenant came out, I was like, oh, they are going for that Leonardo DiCaprio first Oscar so hard. And it's, I feel like the drumbeat's been getting ever louder as the years have gone on about like DiCaprio's never won an Oscar. Remember that. And I think all the stories about the difficult production of The Revenant is only going to make his campaign stronger just because he's sort of the 
actor who fought through the difficulties and whatever. And, uh, you know, how irresistible to have the prospect of Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet both both winning Oscars on the same night. Well, so. and uh, the story I keep hearing is about how he was such a trooper on that very difficult shoot and mm-hmm. kind of putting up with the elements. Oh, his people so, are uh, yeah. <laughs> making it happen. That's very good. Yeah. yeah, I agree with Joe. I think it's a cool story. I think the question marks for me, obviously, are the film. I, I talked to somebody yesterday who said they'd seen it and it's amazing and it's going to live up to the hype and all that, but that person also works on the film. So. <laughs> so let's keep that in mind. Um, also, I think that Leo is going to have the, the hurdles he's going to have to overcome are, you know, the resentment by many non-superhuman celebrities of his lifestyle and then his difficulty in kind of relating to those folks. And I think, you know, if he can really campaign and find the kind of empathetic part of his self himself, then I think he could really win. But I think that's the, that's the challenge more than even what's going to be on the screen. Well, speaking of Kate Winslet, who I'm assuming you're saying is going to win for Steve Jobs as a supporting actor. I said that on my way out of the theater of seeing <laughs> Steve Jobs. We'll see how right I am, but yeah. Um, but the prediction I'm going to go with is Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs because that performance really is enormous. It is this, you know, it's playing a real person, which we all know does really well with the Academy. He was ignored for shame, as we discussed, but then got the nomination for 12 Years a Slave. I think he's a huge rising star. He's a big deal. It's not quite the ingenue thing that Eddie Redmayne had going for him last year, but I do think he is due for recognition. I think that performance is hard to ignore, and Steve Jobs is going to stick around in the conversation. And I think Fassbender is probably, I guess aside from Aaron Sorkin for the screenplay, is probably the best way for people to reward that movie. And he speaks in a different accent and he says so many words. He says all the words. (laughs) He says all the words. Yeah. Uh, Richard? Well, I'm going to rewind 20 years ago (laughs) to when uh, an actor won an Oscar one year for uh, a sort of serious drama about, about sort of queer issues. And then the next year won an Oscar for a big sort of uplifting, you know, overcoming adversity movie. Last year, Eddie Redmayne won an Oscar for a big overcoming adversity movie. And this year is up in the running for The Danish Girl, which, you know, is sort of about a trans woman and first trans woman to get a sexual reassignment surgery. So I don't know. I think that Redmayne could spoil it all and uh, and take a second Oscar, even though he's not, you know, at the stature of Tom Hanks, you know, what Tom Hanks was 20 years ago when he won for Philadelphia and then Forrest Gump. But um, I don't know. I have a weird sort of maybe sense that Redmayne could kind of sneak in and and spoil the pot for DiCaprio or or for Fassbender. As delightful as Eddie Redmayne is, if that happens, the Backlash will be insane, especially for all the crazy Leo deserves an Oscar people out there. Well, I think Scorsese might be campaigning for um, Fassbender and Redmayne just because he wants Leo to win for For one of his movies. (laughs) Yeah, Not The Revenant. It's just going to be Michael Caine descending from the rafters rafters for his third Oscar. As long as they perform that that symphony from the end of youth, I'll be happy with that. Well, that does it for this week's show. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. You can find all of us writing about awards season, including Joe, on weekends at VanityFair.com. And follow us all on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y. Mike? Mike underscore, sorry, Hogan uh, at Twitter. <laughs> Joe? <laughs> I'm at uh, Joe Reed, R-E-I-D, at Twitter. And Richard? Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And also Little Goldman has a Twitter feed at Little Goldman, where you can follow us all there, too. This episode was produced and engineered by Sam Dingman, and special thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers. You can find this and many more great podcasts at panoply.fm. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. 
Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 